With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Did you ever warrant the arrest for the murder of William Moore, who was the gas station attendant? But you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice. A crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 7, Episode 16, where I travel to Rockford, Illinois, to interview jailhouse informant Ed Palumbo. And I'm sure that most of you, after listening to the interview, hopefully understood the context and point of the interview, but at the same time, I'm sure there was a lot of frustration because um, Ed tended to ramble a little bit, well, and contradict himself from beginning to end, from his statements at the beginning to the end. But there's a reason for all of that. I know you guys all have a lot of questions. I've got Mike in the studio with me today. Hey, Bob. And as always, Mr. Zach Weaver. Hey, guys. And so we've got a lot of questions and a lot to talk about. So let's get going. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro. Driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost. Hey, before we get going on today's topic about the episode, I have a recommendation for all of you. And you should all know, this is not a paid endorsement. Zach, especially, you should listen to this because I think it's something that you're going to love. My good friend and friend of the show, Jim Clementi, and for those of you that don't know Jim, former FBI criminal profiler, writer on Criminal Minds, host of Real Crime Profile and Best Case, Worst Case, lots of TV shows. He just released his second through XG Productions, which is his production company, a new Audible original. And so for those of you that don't know what that is, Audible is, I wish they were a sponsor right now because I'd give you a code, but they're not a current sponsor. All of our ad slots are full. But Audible is audiobooks uh, that you can get. And I'm sure there's lots of codes floating around out there for Audible. What Jim has done, he did it first with an Audible original last year called Evil Has a Name, which was the story of the hunt for the Golden State Killer. And he has just released a second Audible original called Call Me God. And it is absolutely incredible. For those of you that listen to Evil Has a Name, definitely go check out Call Me God. It's about the DC sniper case or the Beltway sniper. Are you familiar with that? Either you guys? I am. Yeah, very, very familiar with that, actually. It, it's such a, it was already a cool and interesting story. And for those who don't know, this, this, this was a, a grown man and a, and a 17 year old kid in 2002 that were in the Washington, DC area that were randomly killing people with the, they call sniper rifle, it was an AR 15 from the trunk of a car. And with no rhyme or reason to it, it was 23 days of terror Mm -hmm. before they finally captured uh, John Muhammad and Lee Malvoy. But what I found, because I was was completely obsessed with this after listening to Call Me God, 
There's never even been a documentary about that case. I wonder why. It's weird. There's nothing. There's no media on yeah. it. Yeah, I know their their original leads were super far off too. Oh yeah, well they were they were telling everybody to look for the white van. I don't mm-hmm. want to give too much away if you guys aren't familiar with the story. But yeah, police were sending everyone in the wrong direction, and that's why this Audible original is so cool. So first of all, what an Audible original is, it's kind of a new. It, it, I was talking to Jim last night about it, and the best way I would describe it is it's like an audio documentary. So it's it's not an audio book. And it's not a podcast. It's somewhere in between there. Mm-hmm. But it's it's like there's like music and scoring like you would hear in a documentary if you're watching it on TV. I think it's about eight hours. I binged the whole thing over the weekend. But it's the investigators. I didn't know Jim Clemente was part of that investigation, along with Jim Fitzgerald, who has also been on on our show. And Jim was the guy that profiled the Unabomber using forensic linguistics from his writings. Uh, and then also Jim's brother, Tim Clemente, was actually boots on the ground, actually found some of the key evidence that led to the capture of John Muhammad and Lee Malvoy. And so you're, you, throughout the course of the podcast, you have the narrator, and then it cuts to uh, you know Jim talking about his experiences and Tim talking about his and, and Fitz talking about his. You hear from victims. You hear from victims' family members. You hear from other investigators. And it is just completely captivating. So if you if you are looking for something to download on Audible or you're just looking for something new to listen to, cannot recommend enough. Zach, I know you or you listen to a lot of audiobooks. Yeah. You should check it out. You will be especially if you're interested in that case. Yeah, I'm going to download it as soon as we leave the studio. Mm-hmm. It it is it's amazing. And again, like I said, this is not a paid sponsorship. This is just me telling you for my audience, you guys that that I know are interested in this kind of thing. This is a must listen. And if you haven't downloaded Evil Has a Name, download that too. It's a, it's similar style for the Golden State Killer case, but it's called Call Me God. It's an audible original, and it is the XG team with Jim Clemente, Jim Fitzgerald, and Jim's brother, Tim, and a Maureen. Oh, oh, gosh, I don't want to get her name wrong. I think it's Maureen O'Connell. I've met her. I, I was actually, She's the one that was on stage with me. Yeah, I think that's that, you got the name right. I think. Yeah, she's also a former FBI. She's she's the main narrator that pushes the story forward. But amazing, definitely must listen. Check it out. Nice. I'm looking forward to checking that out. Okay, and then uh, I I know we have a, a whole list of questions, but I I think it's a good place to start with this. By I want to hear what you guys think, Zach. I guess I'll, I'll start with you. Like, what did you think of the Ed Palumbo interview? <laughs> it's a tough one. Honestly, I didn't know where to go with it. Being that you know that he is high, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to recall a lot of things, especially, and I'm putting things out there on my own, but I'm guessing this isn't his first time doing this. He's probably been doing it a lot. Doing what? Smoking. Oh, yeah. he For to- years and years and years. I mean, he even talked about dealing at that point. Yeah. He told me, um, just so everyone's aware, when he was smoking in the garage where we went in, he's like, this is, this is nothing. It's not because you're here. He's like, I, do, I always smoke this much. I'm, I, I'm not smoking any more than I normally do, which I find hard to believe. I've never seen somebody chain smoke marijuana like that. But, but you know, prolonged activity like that will mess up your memory. Right. So uh, there's a lot of things he was saying that's, that's hard to believe, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's not telling the truth, but sometimes there's, there's aspects of it that are just hard to believe. And then he stumbled through it so much back and forth about, what right. was said and what wasn't said. Well, and I, th- I think to me that was that was him trying not to tell the truth. So like he wanted to come forward. Yeah. But I think he wanted also to, I don't want to say whitewash himself, but he, he, he wanted to not, he wants to help Jamie without really letting anybody know what he did. Yeah. You know, because when he started off, he, you know, because I was surprised because I've seen his affidavits and he's like, oh, yeah, well, Jamie said they're just a braggart and this and that. I'm like, and then you heard me say, well, did he, did he actually say that? It, it's a tricky thing when you're talking to somebody in that situation because I have to keep him comfortable. Mm-hmm. I have to keep him comfortable enough with me to have that rapport for him to continue talking. But at the same time, I need, as an investigator, I've got to get back to the point. So you heard a lot with me. You know, I would let him ramble on a little bit, but then say, okay, but I have to ask you again, why did you do it? I have to ask you again, why did you do it? Let's go back to why, because he, and, and and I think that's why it got a little confusing. And I, I don't think that was necessarily the marijuana. I think it was just a conscious effort on his part to try to derail the conversation, to take it in a different direction. But I will give you credit. I mean, that was really a tough interview to go in and have to do like that mm-hmm. under those circumstances, knowing what you know, 
and knowing what you had to get from him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really, you did a good job. I mean, I'm not trying to pat you on the back. I'm sitting across the table. Mike knows we've argued all day. So clearly this isn't me trying right. to pat you on the back. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. It, it was, it was one of the tougher ones that I've done. I mean, anytime you have, whenever I'm doing an interview, I always categorize them as hostile or friendlies. Mm-hmm. He would, not that Ed was hostile, but in that category for me going in, I'm preparing myself to know like, this is not a person that really wants to talk about yeah. or really wants to talk to me. This is also not a person that really wants to tell you what he knows, you know, as opposed to somebody who was like a witness to something that they're just, yeah, I'll tell you what I know, or I'll tell you what I know about this person. He doesn't want to share what he did because he knows that he did something wrong. Yeah. And he's trying very hard to not implicate himself on anything, mm-hmm. which is incredible because it's like of all the ways that somebody could uh, try to help or even like correct a past wrong to decide that you're going to go on a podcast and, and say these things that are so sensitive and so potentially damaging is just to me it's kind of it's just odd that that he would do that i i don't think that he really understands what a podcast is mm-hmm. um he's heard some of the stuff because people have sent him links but i think that's just the that that really comes down to the power and reach of the truth and justice army is that i mean everyone in bloomington everyone connected to this case knows what we're doing you know so there's been tv uh, you know that crime watch daily thing and there's been newspaper and magazines but you know those those things just pop and that's one of the reasons why we why we do this long form in the way we do is because those things kind of pop in and they're gone right they they hit the news they hit whatever they're boom boom and they're gone this is over time it builds and snowballs as the people that are listening are talking about it and share and then and then people are hearing names and hey i heard about you on this podcast and that's what happened eventually got to him that we were talking mm-hmm. about it he started listening to some things and then I was able to make Tammy uh, Alexander actually made first contact and then get, got me the information. So I made contact with him and then talked. I, we were going to do it over the phone. He wanted to do it in person and then made the trip. So it's just I, I don't think it was like I want to do this on a podcast. It was just it was more this guy seems like he's really digging into the case and is doing something that might actually make a difference. So I'll 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 tell my story. And, you know, I, I really think there was some of it that was. I want to tell my story before you tell it for me. Mm, okay. And and that's, that was other things that came to mind while I was listening to this is he was talking about being in prison for nine years at this point. Right. Is that for the bus station robbery? I, well, it's confusing because he was arrested for the bus station robbery. Those charges were then dropped, but he was arrested. And I can see in the, I didn't dig into his cases too much, but there was in the police reports where he was a suspect in a series of fertilizer robberies. Okay. Uh, and break-ins, which I assume would be to make meth. This is what they, they use that for, or other drugs. But I, I think that's actually, don't quote me on it, but I think that's what he was actually serving time for. Okay. But in, in general, for me, the interview was enlightening. I, I, I can tell you this, I walked away from it happy that I felt like we find it was, it was a rough road. I mean, you heard, when you started hearing the recording, that was two hours into me mm. talking to him already. To get him to finally, at least somewhat closely, admit exactly what he did. I think with me listening, there was a lot of things that were in the interview that were unclear. But I think that was actually something that cleared up a lot for me. Mm-hmm. Is that if an individual like him is their witness, right? There's an issue. You know, what I mean, that's the sure. issue in itself. Not what he's saying, but that this is how he's portraying this. He has no clue what's going on, and this is one of your strongest witnesses doesn't know anything about the case doesn't yeah. it can't even keep yeah and it, it's it's like a, that's the state's best bet mm-hmm. and i think that's why they had so many people did you catch in the interview that he was saying i i kind of knew this from talking to other people and that's why i asked him the question was they were doing the same thing with everyone there because you know because they're, they're trying to get these jailhouse informants to come forward who don't actually know anything about the crime mm-hmm. and you know it, they're potentially setting themselves up to get themselves killed in prison and they're kind of convincing them by telling – they're telling all these informants, listen, you might as well jump on the gravy train. There's already a dozen other people that are doing this. Your little piece of this isn't that big of a deal. Everybody knows he's guilty and everyone so, – so so Ed knew. Ed was told. And they even – actually, it, was, it wasn't on Mike, but he told me later. He was even locked up prior to trial with – they put him in seg with another inmate that was going to testify against Jamie hmm. on purpose. 
so so why he's in there he you know they're oh it's not just me it's both of us oh yeah i heard so everybody's doing it mm-hmm. you know remember when denny Hendricks was on and he was talking about all these different guys that were coming to him like they were doing it so they kind of made it seem like look this dude's guilty everyone knows he's guilty you might as well jump in and get a time cut or or you know don't get more time tacked on for not testifying like just give them what they want and let's move on another thing that got me from the interview was when he said that for officials to get jailhouse informants to talk it isn't always a sweet deal or a plea deal or reduced sentence. There's also them threatening the inmates right. with more time, which I didn't really realize that was a thing that they did. I should have. It's obvious now, but they're I, not supposed to. Yeah, but it's still it's it was pretty intense when I heard that. Well, that's what you know. Kenny Snow ended up not testifying in Ed Eight's um, or season two case in his post conviction hearings because of that he for it was kind of went the other way but he wrote wrote affidavits went to went to court was prepared to testify that Dobbs had given him this deal and pushed him into doing it and that his testimony was false and as he was he had already been benchwarded back to Smith County was was prepared to testify and then was told he didn't have a lawyer and he was told if you testify to that we're going to charge you with aggravated perjury which could come with a sentence of 99 years and they convinced Kenny yeah they're like you told this story on the stand. If you tell us a different story now, then it's guaranteed perjury because one or the other was false. You lied on the stand in one or the other. And, and of course, Kenny, without having an attorney right there to say no, like we're saying that he was forced, he was threatened, and that's why, that's why he did it. He was given a deal, and they probably wouldn't get away with perjury. Kenny just said, nope, I'm not going to – I'm not doing it then. I'm not taking the chance. Is there really such a thing as aggravated perjury? Right. It is. I mean, I, that just uh, astounds me. Like, I don't understand what that could be. I'm trying to remember exactly. It's a Texas thing, and it could probably other places too, but it's just like a robbery, or uh, if it's an aggravated robbery, then it means there was like violence involved too, mm-hmm. right? And so I think they, they told him it would be aggravated perjury because it was a murder charge or something. You mm-hmm. know. Well, and it was probably bullshit. They probably could get him for perjury, maybe, if it was within the statute of limitations, but. The aggravated perjury was probably bullshit. That just blows my mind because I didn't know yeah. the aggravated perjury. That just doesn't seem like they would go together. I, I know for sure in Texas they'd like to throw aggravated in front of just about anything. Aggressively lie to you. Right? Yeah. So anyway, I know we got a lot of questions. I just wanted to get your guys' takes on, on the interview as a whole. So let's go ahead and get into whatever you got there, Mike. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Brandy says, I was so confused. So Ed loved Jamie, but he lied only to visit his girlfriend? I, I think that was a part of it. And also, I think that along the way, throughout the course of the interview, Ed was trying to, as I said earlier, he was trying to minimize things. But he kept telling me when we were in the garage, he's just like, you know, they just had me, you know, they knew I was, I was in love and dumb. And I was like, that didn't make any sense to me. And then during the actual interviews, when he explained that every time they'd bench warned him back to talk to him, he would get to see his girlfriend. But that was just part of it. I, I think that originally this started, and we know that on May 9th of 91, so, you know, just a, five weeks later, six weeks later after the murder is the first time this story came up. And that was when, and in, in the, if you look at the on the website, all the documents from the, from those police reports and interview transcripts and things, basically Ed went in and tried to blame everything on the planet on Jamie Snow. He was pissed at Jamie Snow, and then in that memo, we heard that something about the Freedom Oil that Ed Palumbo was involved in that too. So one way or another, he went in and said, "Look, you know, instead of charging me with this, 
Jamie Snow did this, he did this, he did this, he did this. I mean, I think he accused him of, of assassinating Kennedy during that, <laughs> that police report. It was that bad. I mean, it was like everything. And that's when he says, oh, he, he confessed to me that he did it. But, you know, the big thing in the interview originally in that statement is when he's, he didn't just say, Jamie said, did, I'm not, did you read about me in the paper? In that original statement, he said, did you read about me in the paper? Did you hear about the kid that I killed at the Clark station? Had a gun, go off, kid dies. Yeah, what kind of caveman shit is that? Like, like, who, like who talks who like talks that? talks like that? Yeah, I don't know. And also, like, immediately when I was reading, because I have to look at all these, like, is this true? Did Jamie actually say that? You know, mm-hmm. one thing is, could Jamie actually be guilty? We still have to consider that at all times. And then number two is, you know, could Jamie have said that and just was talking shit and didn't do it? You mm-hmm. know, look at like Damien Eccles in the West Memphis Three case. You yeah. know, at some point he got sick of hearing shit and started saying, "Oh yeah, I killed him. I'm going to kill two others." Or supposedly that, mm-hmm. happened, but didn't mean that he actually that he actually did it. But then when he when he says he's in the car with his wife Tammy Snow, who we all heard from, and said that now, can you, Mike? You've met Tammy Snow in person. We were there, right? You, you all have heard it, Zach. You've heard it. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine sitting next to that woman, your wife? who still believes he's innocent to this day, even though they're divorced and he put her through hell, that she's sitting right there and he says, yeah, did you hear about that kid I killed at the Clark station? Have gun, bang, bang, goes off, kid dies. Like, there's no way. No way. So, you know, immediately I had already thought that was that was BS. And then, and then throughout the evolution of my conversation with Ed, it turns into he said it. And then if you were listening closely, you heard him say that, you know, well, maybe I misunderstood him. What he actually said so so the, the the what ed is saying now to be clear because it was confusing what ed is actually saying now is that he did have that interaction with jamie and jamie did say something about did you see me in the paper last night and that was it and that's what you heard him say in the interviews like oh maybe i misunderstood him i don't know and i believe that because tammy snow testified that she was in the car with jamie they did see ed palumbo she says she remembers Jamie saying, am I going to read about you in the paper? Mm-hmm. So it went the other way. So so it's like that conversation happened. It's across cars. And he said no traffic, but I've been to that area. It's it, There's traffic there. I, maybe there wasn't at that time. But the across cars thing, you were onto something in the interview. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Mm-mm. And I know I edited it and listened to it, uh, but it, I'm drawing a blank now. Was the final story that they were both in cars stopped at a light? Wasn't that it? Wasn't it a light? It was It was like just a stop sign, and they're going opposite directions. So one of them stops short of the stop sign. The other one goes through the stop sign, pulls up next to him. And that's why if you look at, you know, like like what, what Tammy said happened, it was real brief. It was like, hey, what's up? Like, hey, am I going to read about you in the paper? Mm-hmm. And then maybe Ed actually thought he said, did you read about me in the paper? Whatever it was. And that was it, and they're gone. Yeah. Now, according to Ed, they're parked there at this – Busy intersection, mm-hmm. side by side, and not according to him now, but in his original statement. And it's, hey, what's up? Do you have any pot? I want to buy some pot. Nope, I don't have any pot. Did you read about me in the newspaper? No, what are you talking about? That I shot that kid at the Clark station last night. Oh, really, what happened? Mm-hmm. Have a gun. Boom, gun goes off. Kid dies. And then, oh, and then Ed drives away. Like, they're just sitting there in traffic having that long of a conversation. Yeah. I, I do get, you know, possibly the 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 marijuana thing if he saw Ed. If right. Jimmy saw Ed and he was like, Oh, I want to buy some weed. I know that guy's got weed. Right. You pull up roll on the window, hey you got some weed? Right. Oh, no, you don't? Okay. Did I read about you? Nope. All right. Out of here, you know? Mm-hmm. I could see that part at least. But I I can't see Jamie being in a car, a running car, uh, because you gotta talk loud, right? Out the window so right. the other guy can hear you. Uh, he doesn't even know Ed that well. They're not best friends. He's not a family member, but he's going to disclose this extremely damning information. Murder. Of a, yeah, mur- mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. He's going to disclose murder to a, a guy, he, a passerby that he kind of knows through a window of a car loudly. Like what? Yeah. And I hadn't really thought about it like that, but just the idea of how absurd that is does stick out in your head too. Like, well, yeah, really like, oh, hey, first person I've seen. Hey, killed a guy. Just wanted you know, killed a guy last night. The other absurd thing that I took out of this interview was when he said, he said, oh, I thought we'd have a beer and laugh about it later. Yeah. I'm like, you're going to testify against him for murder and then think you're just going to have a laugh about it later? Yeah. Do you know how hard it was for me to like keep myself composed during that? Yeah. 
And he says, like, maybe maybe punch me in the nose or whatever. But, yeah. you know, so, yeah, his thought was, his story is that his thought was, I'm going to testify against him. And I don't think what I have to say is going to matter. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get what I want, which is not getting more time added. I'll go ahead and testify. He won't get convicted. And then we'll have a beer and laugh about it later. Yeah, that's absurd. I don't know about you, but I'm not laughing. No, not at all. No, we're good friends. And if you were to do that with me, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be laughing. No, not at all. And they weren't even that good of friends. I really, I, I've never heard them described as friends. They were more acquaintances from what everyone said. All right. This next one's from Lauren. How is it legal for a prosecutor to threaten somebody with jail time or offer a reduced sentence to testify, especially if the person testifying has to change their statement? It seems like they are condoning perjury, which is a crime. Well, yeah, they can't condone perjury, which means, means they can't put someone on the stand to give knowingly false testimony. So that, that, but again, it, you know, in, in America, prosecutors have such immunity, I don't think they worry about it. As far as giving them a deal, they can absolutely do that, but they have to disclose that to the defense. That's where most, not most, a lot of Brady violations come from, is prosecutors will go to a jailhouse informant, and they'll say, you know, we need test- testimony from you. They don't want to know if you don't actually, they'll never ask, like, are you telling the truth? You know, because they don't want to know that because mm-hmm. now it's, now they're going to lose their law license if they get caught. But then they'll say, you know, well, well, can you, can you cut me some time or something? And they'll, yeah, we can get, and a lot of times it's people, their best pool to, of people to dip from is uh, people that are awaiting trial. So, you know, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for trial for a uh, case that could get me 40 years. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you, a reduced sentence to this and just probation if you testify. Now, you can do that. It's You shouldn't do it. You can do that. But if that's the case, you have to disclose to the defense through discovery that this person was given a deal in order to testify. And so that's why most in most cases, prosecutors, that's why I think um, now Travis Gaddis didn't get called in because they'll say that and, you know, can I get a deal or whatever, or this or that, and, and they'll say, I'm sure the judge will consider your cooperation at your sentencing or we may consider this, but they won't put something on paper that says we will give you this deal if you do this Mm because they don't want to disclose it. As far as the threats, that could be argued if someone was genuinely committing perjury, you know, or or if they, if they, so like one of the things they threatened Ed with was obstructing justice. So if they genuinely believed that, he knew something about the crime and, and was refusing to talk about it. They could try to they could they they could make the argument that he was truly obstructing justice. He was stopping us from doing this, so that's why we threatened with him. You know, it's it just it's it's all a tangled web, and these lawyers know really well how to work their way through it and come on the other side. And again, it's much easier for prosecution than defense because they're immune to pretty much everything. You know, worst case scenario, I think well, there's been like one prosecutor that's ever actually served jail time for prosecutorial misconduct. And I think they did like 10 days hmm. or something. I didn't know that. Yeah. And these are people that have, you know, sent people away for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Cheating. Brittany says, can we go over hearsay and how it was able to slip through the cracks in this case? Yeah. So hearsay is tricky. Every time I think I have it figured out, I get confused again. In general hearsay means. You cannot testify to something that someone else said, but it might as well not even be a rule because there are a million exceptions to it. So I, I just printed out. I'm not going to read through all these. Uh, so rule 803 is a federal rule of evidence. It's exceptions to the rule of hearsay. So some of the exceptions are present sense impression, which means a statement describing or explaining an event or condition made while immediately after the declarant perceived it. What does that mean? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Uh, an excited utterance, a statement related to startling event or condition made where the declarant was under the stress of excitement that it caused. Uh, then there's then existing mental, emotional, or physical condition. Then there's statement made for medical diagnosis or treatment. There is uh, recorded recollection, a record that is on a matter the witness once knew about but now cannot recall well enough to testify fully and accurately or was made or adopted by the witness when the matter was fresh in the witness's memory. And there's all these and you can also use hearsay to one of the exceptions that I know of to impeach a witness. So if someone if I ask so say it's the two, say the two of you had a conversation 
And Mike tells me, well, Zach said whatever. I put Zach on the stand. I ask you, did you ever say fill in the blank? And mm-hmm. you say no. Now I can put Mike on the stand and say, did you ever hear Zach say this? Okay. And then I say yes. Yeah. And, and then I, I, the court takes my word over Zach's. No, it's all the jury is the finder of facts in all cases. So they just got to decide who to believe. But I'm not even, well, and actually, that's not a proper way to phrase the question. I'll be like, did there ever come a time where you had a conversation with Zach Weaver? Yes. Uh, was it about, uh, was it around this time? Yes. What did he say in that conversation? And you can say it. Now, that would be hearsay if it was just you. But since Zach gave testimony to the contrary, now I can use your hearsay evidence to impeach him. And then again, it's up to the jury to decide if they believe you or Zach. Hmm. But that's one of the ways that I'm, I am aware of that you can bring in hearsay testimony. You know, so in this case, like if they had Jamie on the stand and Jamie said, no, I never said that, then they could bring Ed in and say, you did say it. Or mm, to explain okay. that he did say it. Um, it was one of the options. Um, but there's a whole list here. Uh, records of a regularly conducted activity. Where did you find this list at? I just Googled um, hearsay exceptions. Okay. If you look up Federal Rule of Evidence 803, uh, there's a whole list of it. I'm trying to see if there's any here that may explain how Ed's was able to be used. Well, there's too many to list. I'm on page five right now, and they're still going. So, but look them up, read them. I'll tell you that in, if you read the trial testimony, of course, uh, Jamie's defense did try to call it hearsay, and the um, prosecutor Reynard says, "Nope, this clearly falls into the exception 803. Point dot 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 dot." And the judge agrees. So it sounds like you could find an exception to any hearsay almost. Yeah, it's pretty hard. I mean, it happens where they'll say, we absolutely won't allow this. But there there are ways around getting hearsay evidence in. That So Shannon Schmitz, who, by the way, I noticed in the episode, I said Susan like three times. I don't know why. I just wrote Susan into my script. Hmm. And it was Shannon. So if that confused you, sorry about that. But her testimony absolutely wouldn't have been allowed. So what she she came in and told police that Ed told her that Jamie told him what he said. That's complete. That's double hearsay. That wouldn't have been allowed. That's why her testimony then changed to by trial to I was sitting there with him and I also heard it. So now it's corroborating evidence. So it was allowed. So when she goes in to say that she heard Ed say this, is this the first time that Ed is brought into this case as a witness? He said that when they arrested him that they were already talking to him about this case. Okay. And, and, and of course, you know, he was at, and I can't believe nobody's asked about this, he was at Rick Barkas's house on Easter. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty sure he didn't do it because he was there because he was you know, apparently screwing around with Barkas's wife. Which is a whole other element that is just bananas to he me. He was motivated. Right. Marcus yeah. was motivated. Right. Uh, but so they were already asking about Ed about this, and they were looking for Ed, and then they brought in Shannon, and then Shannon says, oh, well, Ed told me that Jamie had told him something about the paper or whatever. So that's where it all started. So they were possibly looking at him as a suspect at the beginning. Sounded like it, yeah. Okay. Which would make sense if, if they're already thinking he did a bus station robbery and Right. Else he could be it was, and it was maybe connected to the Freedom Oil case. I, you know, the, the question comes up over and over again just about every week. People want to know how did Jamie originally get brought into this? And I wonder if this isn't it. Hmm. Hmm. You okay. know, you, because I haven't seen anything before this. You know, so Jamie's already a suspect in the Freedom Oil case. And then this case comes up. And then within a couple of weeks, Shannon Schmidt says, well, Ed told me that Jamie confessed to him. Mm-hmm. Or she, I don't think she said confessed to him, but she said that he said that, oh, did you read about me in the paper or whatever? And then Ed comes in. And then so Ed follows that up with giving the whole story about how Jamie's guilty of everything in the world. And also that he said, did you read about the kid that I shot at the Clark station? Have gun go off. Kid dies. You know, his, it, it gets further than that. But Shannon Schmidt's testimony wouldn't have been allowed, I don't think at all, because it was secondhand hearsay. But then her story changed as she was there. And that was another huge Brady violation. I don't know if that one's been filed on yet, but we have a tape. I mean, there's never been a clearer cut case of lying and, and Brady violation is that tape with Shannon Schmidt saying, I mean, it was Katz asks her, were you in the car? No, I was at home. I think I was at home, but no, I was not in the car. 
And then she goes to trial and says, yes, I was in the car. And they withheld that tape from the mm. defense. But that's why her story changed is because they couldn't use Ed's story was was wacko. Mm-hmm. But it became less wacko when he had someone in there like, yeah, I was in the car with him. I, it happened. I was there. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. All right, Alexis says, I'm thoroughly confused. The interview with Ed made it seem like it wasn't until the time of Jamie's trial, about 10 years after the actual crime, when Ed was in prison and the cops pressured him into testifying, that he ended up turning against Jamie. But in the timeline that Wendell Mass posted on the fan page, which, Bob, you've looked at? Yeah. Okay. It's very good and accurate, so check it out if you haven't seen it. She says it was as early as May 9th, about six weeks after the murder, that Ed told the story about passing Jamie on the street and Jamie confessing to him. Can you shed any light on this? Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've covered a lot of this, but Ed's story just changed. Keep in mind, Ed was in prison the entire time. And that's when he kept saying, it's like, why are they bringing this up now, right before I get out of prison? So Ed feels, and I don't know if that's true or not, probably not, Ed feels like they tried Jamie when they did because they wanted to try him before Ed got released so they could threaten him with that more time. So Ed, way back in 91, gave the initial story in 92 or 93, when that memo was written, that was when Katz is trying to get an indictment against Jamie. That's when the responding officer said, no, we checked the Palumbo lead. It's bullshit, basically. There's nothing to it. And so then now Ed's been in prison this entire time. And then in 99, when the cold case unit really digs in and they start going after Jamie, that's when they go back to Ed and push him to testify. And that's when he said, no, I don't want to testify. I don't want nothing to do with it. And if I testify, testify for the defense. And then they told him, no, you won't. You're going to testify for us or we're going to charge you with perjury and obstruction of justice and give you five more years. And then Ed went into trial and did exactly what they wanted him to do. So while we're talking about this timeline, Sue wants to know, at what point did Ed start feeling remorse for Jamie? I think immediately once Jamie was convicted. I mean, that, and that's if you believe, Ed, that he really didn't think he would get convicted. I could see why. You know, not knowing the entirety of the case, but, you know, why he would think that him just saying that Jamie said that to him wouldn't be enough to convict him. And it wouldn't be, but it was coupled to everything else. So Ed supposedly doesn't think Jamie's going to get convicted. And then Jamie does get convicted. And then he immediately felt bad about it. But it's not like he just came forward. I mean, investigators reached out to him. And that's when he finally admitted to them what happened, admitted that he lied and wrote the affidavits. He also wrote a letter to the governor. Nina says, is it possible to get the local papers from Bloomington they were talking about and that caused this misunderstanding at the intersection? You know, I I hadn't thought about that, but it it may be possible. I don't think, but with that question, I don't think there is newspapers. The question was, am I going to read about you in the newspapers? Not, did I read about you in the newspapers? Uh, That's a good point. So maybe there, there might not be an article. Right. But then again, we don't know exactly what was said because i don't think anybody hurt anybody that is true you know so it could have been hey did i read about you in the paper yesterday Mm -hmm. is the way i always took it which is you know there's an article in the paper about these bus station robberies and jamie's like did i read about you like like saying like was that you Mm -hmm. or um the way ed took it him saying you know there's also articles about bill little's murder and him saying, you know, you know, did you read about me in the paper yesterday? And it was about Bill's murder. So I, I guess I was going to say, yeah, we probably could, we, especially if somebody's in the Bloomington area wants to go into the local library, which I would still love to see if someone wants to do that. Usually they have microfiche of 
uh, the newspaper, the pantograph from, you know, would be April 1st, April 2nd, 1991, mm-hmm. see what the articles were. But I don't think it's going to really tell us anything. I mean, neither of their names were in the yeah. paper. They were both just suspects. Well, Jamie wasn't a suspect, but I think Ed was a suspect for sure in the bus station robbery. See, and I took it as the other way. We're like, am I going to read about you in the newspaper? Like, they heard about it, and, you know, am I going to hear about you? Like, is this you? And I took it as, like, if it's two buddies talking, and they're just kind of poking fun at each other, that maybe it was something along the lines of, like, keep yourself out of, stay out of trouble until I see you again. I don't want to read about you in the newspaper. Yeah, right. Kathy says, something has me a bit confused. Ed and Bob both said the murder was the night before Ed and Jamie had the conversation about seeing me on the news. But it was April 2nd and the murder occurred on the 31st, so it would have been two days after the murder. Was that just a misspeak or is that what is in the official notes? The official notes both say the day after and April 2nd, and I think that the reason for that is because the murder happened on the 31st of March, but it happened on the 31st of March at 8 o'clock at night, and this is not social media days. So it was, you know, past midnight, the first, by the time it was hitting the news, you know, I think they, it was on the news that something happened, but it wasn't in the newspapers until the next day. So, so because it happened that night, I think that for some people, it seemed, you know, April 1st was the day it happened, even though it was actually the 31st. So, yeah, it, it just can, it wasn't really a misspeak. It's just confusing in the record because it's referred to as the day after and April 2nd. And I don't know, I think they, they could just be confusing the dates. Kimberly says, so what I heard from the interview is, Ed says that his statement was not altered. He said that Jamie did make the confession to him. He just didn't believe he actually did it. And Ed thought he was just bragging and talking big. He made the statement that, and I'm paraphrasing, he didn't believe Jamie had the guts to do this crime. He may be a big talker, but not a murderer. Did I understand that correctly? How does Jamie explain Ed's recollection of their encounter? Well, like I said earlier, the, the part that changed, and you got to listen real close to hear it, is that Jamie didn't actually say, did you hear about the kid I killed at the Clark station? Have gun, go off, kid dies. What Jamie actually did say, according to Ed, is, did you read about me in the paper? And so, so that, was, that was the change. He added, if Ed actually believes that that's what Jamie said about the newspaper, which is possible, he then added in to make his testimony sound stronger when he was trying to make a deal for himself back in May of 1991. Uh, he added in the kid I killed at the Clark station, have gun, go off, kid dies. That's the part he said Jamie didn't say. He made that up. All right, Bob, that's it for questions this week. But I know we've got some really exciting news about your new podcast coming out, Bob and Weave. What do we got? Yes. So hopefully today, while you're listening to this, Right now, you can go over to the Bob and Wee podcast on iTunes. I say hopefully because uh, we're recording this Wednesday right now. On Tuesday, we officially released the Bob and Wee podcast. We released two episodes right up front. So they are out and available, but it takes time to make the connection to iTunes. Uh, somebody at iTunes has to approve it. I've had that take an hour, and Mike's had it in some cases take four days. So we thought by today we would, which is today's Wednesday, is going to be the normal release date of Bob and Weave. We thought it'd be released today. We're waiting on that iTunes approval. So uh, I don't know by Friday. I'm I'm 99% certain that we will be live. So right now, I for sure what is live now is our YouTube channel mm-hmm. um, because all of the podcasts for Bob and Weave will be released both in video and audio. So if you're somebody that likes to watch right now, for sure, you can go to the Bob and Weave podcast on YouTube, and you can check out episodes one and two. Episode one is the murder of Botham Jean in Dallas, Texas, and the arrest and conviction and sentencing of Amber Geiger. That is the white female police officer that supposedly thought she was in her apartment, but in fact walked into Botham Jean's apartment, saw him sitting there, and shot him dead. Uh, very interesting case. So both of those are available right now. Again, you can get them on YouTube. I think we, I know for sure we're already live on, I think, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. So Bob and Weave is all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing we're waiting on is iTunes, which should be available now. And you can find us across the board on social media by looking up Bob Weave Pod. Yep. So that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Bob Weave Pod. 
So you guys can check that out. And to give you a little taste of what Bob and Wee Pod's all about, we put together this little trailer just exclusively for you guys. So we're going to play that now before the credits. And so hopefully give it a listen and please go over to the Bob and Wee podcast and subscribe and listen. Let us know what you guys think. And we won't, of course, be talking about that you know, repeatedly on the Truth and Justice podcast, but we'll have our other social media forums open to, to discuss as we move along. And with all that being said, before we play the trailer, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Zach. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for engaging and hope you like the trailer. Polarization just keeps getting worse in Washington. It's as bad as they've ever seen it. And it seems to be making Americans very upset. And page 45. This is politics. And page 45. Is this where we want to set the bar for future presidents? Clinton was the worst in Tonight, history. It was a vote along party lines that made President Clinton only the... I'm not for gay president. marriage. I believe marriage is between they a man and a woman. And so does John. Obama yeah. nor a number of I incidents turned violent this afternoon. Our limousine was set on fire It's really easy to pull out little pieces of that and say, mm-hmm. oh, I can judge you because you don't fill in the blank. Or I can judge you because you do fill in the blank. I believe that we're just supposed to love it. But Zach, so you and I differ very much when it comes to religion or faith. Yeah, I'm very agnostic. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a science-based house. That's what this is all about, is being able to not just accept, but try to understand. I get to yeah. see all of this back and forth. Mm-hmm. And it's really frustrating to not understand how these people cannot see from the middle which is where i am every issue right. we tackle we, we want we want to talk about both sides there are two sides to every argument and most of the time people are on both sides are trying to get to what they think is the greater good yeah a lot of times you have the same end goal mm-hmm. it's it's you have a different way of thinking about how to get to that end goal. a controversial case in the news and that is the murder of mr botham jean in dallas texas so botham jean was a uh, an African-American man mm-hmm. sitting in his apartment eating some ice cream. And off-duty police officer Amber Geiger, she claims her story is that she went to go into her apartment and opens the door, walks in, thinks she's in her apartment, is actually in Botham Jean's apartment, sees this black man sitting on the couch or the table at, and in his own apartment, thinking he's sitting in her apartment, mm-hmm. ends up opening fire on him and kills him. Really? Have you ever gone for a walk with your girlfriend and had the police grab you and throw you against a wall and frisk you? Which was strange because I grew up in a biracial family in a predominantly white middle-class neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I don't think the government has any fucking business at all mm-hmm. legislating who I can marry. Our topic today is transgender athletes. Uh, mostly focusing on them playing in women's sports. But imagine what could have happened if the two sides worked together. Mm -hmm. All we see is constant battling back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so we can't, we're not 20 years. We haven't accomplished anything. The Civil Rights Act, Mm -hmm. that's power. That is real power. That is world-changing power that happened because the two sides worked together. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't happened in decades. Trump is a symptom of the divide. That's a good depiction of the divide we're in right now, where it doesn't matter what's right and wrong anymore. The only thing that matters is who's in power. Yeah. That, that you disagree with me on a fundamental level. Therefore, I disagree with you about everything. And uh, this is, I think, a lot of what you expect. I mean, I don't think we really came to any conclusions, but uh, 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 both of us have tears in our eyes when yep. it's over with, which was a little unexpected today. <laughs> yeah. Um, but with all that being said, I want to thank you guys. We love you all. Zach, thanks for being my friend. Love you, buddy. Love you too, man. See ya. Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. 
Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our Friday Five logo was created by Amanda Meyer with Willow Photo and Design. And all of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. I want to thank Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Pam Maples, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support the show by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website. Just click on the Case Submissions button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at TruthJusticePod, and my personal Twitter handle is at BobRuffTruth. And you can also connect with Mike, at MBussing89. For more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram, at TruthJusticePod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. It's going to be a good episode. You guys were talking. Mike was talking. I know. It's going to be a good follow-up. Yeah. Mike Mike thought the atmosphere was off. but Hit, hit it hard in the yard, Mike. That's right, Bob. I've never heard that one. Hit it hard in the yard. Hit it hard in the Gonna yard. Going to go hard in the paint. Hard I've the heard yard. them both. It's a base, baseball term. I've heard them both. No, you go hard in the paint. It's a basketball term. It's also a baseball term. Why would you say hard in the paint for baseball? Yeah, I'm talking about basketball. I'm talking Why about would you hard baseball. In the yard? You go hard in the yard. You could also use it for football. I think that's a jail term. It's prison. It's term. also a prison term. Prison term. It's a lot of term. But oh, you the, hard in the paint. The fact you don't go hard in the paint in prison. That's true. You go hard in the yard. Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Sky Stream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. Skystream. TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires Skystream and broadband minimum speed 10 megabits per second. 18 month minimum term. Cut off times apply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday. 18 plus terms apply.